Let's return to the book of Esther tonight. Esther chapter 6. We're now at the place in this account where things are really beginning to ramp up, move much more quickly. The first three chapters of this book actually covers many years of time. Chapter 1 opens with the third year of Ahasuerus' reign. In between chapters 1 and 2 is another three years. And then when Esther is chosen queen in chapter 2, it's the tenth month of the seventh year of his reign. And then in the middle of chapter 3, when Haman devises his uh, genocidal decree against the Jews, it's the twelfth year of Ahasuerus' reign. So in two and a half chapters, we go through nine and a half years. And now things are going to start moving rapidly in succession. A lot's going to be happening before chapter 3 was over. The decree by Haman was issued, and then there was only going to be 11 months until the uh, execution of his plan. And then from the issuance of the decree in the latter half of chapter 3 until the end of chapter 5, depending on which day you begin their three-day fast on, whether it began on the day she requested or maybe the next day, who knows. But depending on when you would start that three days, then the next two and a half chapters... And, and really, the next five and a half chapters are really just going to be a four to five day span. So that's interesting to me. In two and a half chapters, you got nine years, nine and a half years. Then for five and a half chapters, you've got less than a week. And, and, and listen, that's how life can be sometimes. Isn't that right? Years can go by where things are just clicking along, everything's going fine. And then all of a sudden, life takes a turn and Things begin to come at you very fast. Sometimes it can be very difficult to deal with. Now I've observed that what makes the difference between those who remain faithful, those who remain faithful or those who fall by the wayside, what typically I see that makes the difference is how people will choose to live their life in the downtime. If I can call it the downtime. The the time when... It takes nine and a half years to go through two and a half chapters. And, and see, we have to learn to draw near to God when there's a relative calm. That's why God gives us parents through our childhood, right, that will teach us the ways of righteousness while life is still relatively calm. You have to draw near to God while there's time to do it. See, when the storms arrive, that's not the time to start scrambling around to figure out what God's Word says. But a lot of people do that. And so you have to prepare ahead of time. On this thought, I usually reference Joseph. And and I just like that picture there that, hey, you're going to have seven years of immense harvest and and tremendous growth. And you're going to have seven years of severe famine. And so he said, look, we've got, to, we've got to store up so that we can get through the lean times. And I know we can't live on credit, as it were, but we can understand the principle that when times are good, we ought to be gathering. What was the theme there in, in Pocatello, Grow in Grace in 2023? That's what you ought to do when the Lord gives you that, that downtime to grow and to draw near to Him. And, and so they, they gathered and they prepared, and that's what we need to do in our own lives. Take advantage of the downtime. Learn to walk with God closely so that when life takes that unexpected turn, 
that 180 degree turn. You get that phone call. Something happens on the road. Somebody gets cancer. All those things that happen in life and when that happens, you're ready, you're assured, you're, you're rock solid on your relationship with God. Because that's what will get you through. Too many, too many. They don't prepare. They, they, don't, they, they don't take in. They don't learn. And then when something happens, they're in my office going, what do I do? I'm not against you coming to me. i got to say that because everybody's like, you don't want us coming. I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm just saying that's what happens. And, and people are scrambling through the Bible in panic mode. What, what does God's Word say? And, and almost without fail, I can say, if you would have been there last week, I just covered that. That's a fact. Be faithful. And, and you got to be assured of God's promises ahead of time. I'm not sure why God had me start with this. This is very different start to our study tonight, but maybe somebody here just needed to be reminded. So, so back to Esther, things are moving quickly. God's providence is now going to be on full display. The decree has been issued. Esther, her maidens, Mordecai, the Jews in Shushan, they fasted for three days about Esther going in before the king. She's going in unbidden. She's, she's risking dying. She said, if I perish, I perish. And so they, they fasted about it, but all it takes is the king to be in a foul mood. Right? Woman, I don't want to deal with you right now. Okay, nobody's married in here. Okay, never mind. Um, but she goes into the king, and the king says, I'll grant you your petition. Uh, to the half of the kingdom, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you... Um, what, what you want. And God's providence turned the heart of the king in Esther's favor. She hosts a banquet that day. And then at the banquet, he asks her again, what's your petition? And I'll give you half the kingdom. And I'm thinking at this point, man, this is a perfect opportunity. Right? He's already extended the golden scepter. She's already been accepted. He's already said, I'll grant your petition. They go to the banquet. He says again, I'll grant your petition. And she doesn't get there. She seems to crawfish. She seems to get scared. She, she seems to be in fear. I'm not saying she was. But to the reader, that's how it seems if you don't know what's happening next. Because when the king asks, just tell me and I'll grant it you, she, she doesn't go forward to tell him, but she pumps the brakes and she, she pulls up short. And she says, come to a banquet again tomorrow and I'll tell you then. We considered last week what was happening here is that she's not necessarily having second thoughts or losing courage. We're not told that. We don't know. But what is happening is, is God is working it out for this to be delayed a day. And, and what we need to learn as Christians is we need to be discerning of the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. There's times when He says, no, this isn't the right time. And everything may look perfect. And it may make perfect sense, but it may not be right in the sight of God yet. And so she, she holds off, and she, she, doesn't, she, she doesn't go there. And so we need, sometimes we just need to pause, even if we don't understand why. If you sense God saying, just wait, wait. I know that's hard for us to do, right? Just wait. Let patience have her perfect work. And so she, she puts the brakes on that. 
And then we considered how Esther is pausing. Haman is moving forward full steam. He's full speed ahead. He returns home from the banquet. He's feeling great about himself. He was the only other one invited to this banquet. You know, he's the man, right? He's, he's there with the king and the queen. Nobody else is there. But then he said this, All this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. This guy's got issues. So Haman's wife and friends, you know, we talked last week, Haman's wife, man, she's a sweetheart. She says, you know, just build a gallows 75 feet high and you can put them on that. <laughs> Thanks, honey. That's great advice. And, and so that's what he, anyway, that's what he does. And she says, when, then when you go to the banquet tomorrow, you can just go in merrily. <laughs> we consider this contrast between Esther and Haman. And, and don't forget Proverbs 14, 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. <laughs> and, and as always, more was covered than this. So please go back and listen if you missed it, okay? For tonight, we begin chapter 6. And normally I would read, but I like how the events unfold here. And I don't want to get ahead of the text. And so we need to make sure as we go into chapter 6 that we have the events of the previous chapter fresh in our minds because this is going to be critical to seeing how things unfold and why Esther held off giving the king her her petition and remember Haman he thinks he's the man he can't wait till tomorrow he's fired up he's he's got the banquet to go he's getting ready to kill Mordecai (laughs) life's good (laughs) that's weird to me but um, and so as we begin chapter 6 we see how life can turn on a dime. Kind of what I was saying in the intro. Things can change in just one night. Your world may look totally different tomorrow. In in just one night. And, And we know it can happen faster than that if God so chooses. I closed last week with Proverbs 27, 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Look, look at what it said here in verse 1 of chapter 6. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Notice it says there, on that night. On that night, during a time when you would think not much can happen. People are sleeping. It's, what's going to change come daylight at this point? But on that night, God was beginning to work in the heart of this king. And, and he can turn the heart of a king like a river. And so on that night, God was about to change everything. Everything's about to go in the opposite direction here. When things looked hopeless for the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt at the Red Sea there, the Bible says that night God brought a strong east wind and divided the waters for them to pass. Things looked hopeless for King Hezekiah and Jerusalem when the Assyrians came marching through the house of Israel and got to the the front porch of Jerusalem 
Bible says, but it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote 185,000 Assyrians that night. And I love the next, the next verse there in 2 Kings 19.36. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. I just love that verse. You wake up with 185,000 dead, so he departed. Amen. That was probably a good move on his part. Most notably was the night our Lord was betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 31, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And though Jesus had foretold of this event, they still were not seeing it. And and on that night... Everything changed. That night. You don't know what a day brings forth. We don't even know what a night may bring forth. And and, and that night, everything was going to, to be changed in their life. They went from forsaking all to follow the Messiah for three and a half years. And then that night, they all forsook Him and fled. On that night, Peter Denied his Lord three times. And on that night, all of their ideas of the Messiah were changed. They didn't understand it. They thought the Messiah was going to bring in the kingdom. An earthly physical kingdom that God was going to restore it back to Israel. And how can that happen with our Messiah being killed and arrested? You know, he's arrested now. He's going to be put to death. And everything changed. That night, everything came crashing down. You see, they had three and a half years of plenty. Walking with our Lord and learning from Him and and seeing the miracles and having private time alone in the mountains and and hearing Him pray and all of those things that, that they were privileged to be a part of. And yet, they didn't even know the Word of God. They didn't understand it all. So we have to take advantage of the times of plenty. We have to become firmly rooted in the Word of God because what you enjoy today may not be here on the morrow. Listen, I I feel God led me to this book because of what's happening in our world. There just seems to be so much uncertainty. And if if we learn anything from 2020, it can change like that. And... You, you better start stocking up and, and getting your act together if you're not walking with God because you're going to be tried. And some of you are going to be like, what? Peter said, don't think it a strange thing. Of the fiery trial, which is, you know, this isn't some strange thing happening unto you. And, and so we, we've got to take advantage of this time of plenty. One day, our Lord is coming again. And everything will be changed. Amen. Jesus said in Luke 17, 34, I tell you, in that night, there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Jesus gave a parable of a man who decided, you know what, I'm just going to take my ease in life. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And and what what did God say unto him? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. 
And let me just say right here, for any of you that may not be born again, this night, your soul could be required of you. For those of us in Christ, it may be this night that our world is flipped upside down. What's going to get you through it? Maybe things are looking hopeless right now for you. It may be that this night God will bring deliverance. Amen. Don't give up on God. Don't lose faith. God is at work even when we can't see it. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, very famous passage. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Well, in verse 1, we see that King Ahasuerus couldn't sleep on that night. Of all nights, why this night? (laughs) It's because this is God-induced insomnia. He giveth his beloved sleep. We know Ahasuerus was a wicked man, but God is making sure he can't sleep this night. God is the one withholding it from him. And and don't grow, grow tired of hearing this, but it was God's providence at work. Even though it looked hopeless, everything's about to be turned upside down. Because nothing is impossible with our God. Now, there's any number of things the king could have done. I mean, he's the king. He could have called for a glass of milk. Had a bedtime snack. You know, he's got a harem to draw from. And I'll just leave it there. He could have asked for whatever their equivalent of television was. You know, maybe have some jesters come in and... You know, can you, can you do the next, the next episode of that drama y'all were doing? He could have called for music. And that was customary. Because we see that over in the book of Daniel 6.18. Then the king, speaking of Darius the Mede, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. This is when Daniel's in the lion's den. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his, and his sleep went from him. So Ahasuerus is the king. He could, have, he could have called for whatever he want, uh, wanted. He could have chosen whatever he wanted. But we see on that night, he chose a bedtime story. And out of all that could be read to him, I mean, listen, Solomon even said that there, there's no end to books. Of all that could have been read to him that night, he commands to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. Boring! I'll get hate mail for this, but if you want to sleep, just read the first nine chapters of our first Chronicles. Everybody's like, what? I never read that. I know. Uh, After about nine chapters of genealogy, trust me, you'll be like, what? Next we see in verse 2, that out of all the places they could have read from in the records of the Chronicles... They, they quote, just happened. Just happened to read the account from the end of chapter 2. Turn back there just for a minute since it's been six months since we were there. That wasn't a joke, but thanks for laughing. Um, Esther chapter 2, look at verses 21 through 23. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, 
of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. When I preached this back in July, um, so maybe five months, somebody do the math on that. But when I preached this back in, in July, I entitled it, God is in the Details. Mordecai, he prevented these would-be assassins from taking the life of the king, but nothing was done to reward him for it, which one would expect and really was customary in those days that if you did something like this, something would happen to you good. Instead, chapter 3 begins, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman. What do I got to do to get promoted around here? (laughs) <laughs> he saves the life of the king and, and we read next that Haman's promoted and all Mordecai gets is an honorable mention at the end of chapter 2. An honorable mention in their, their chronicles. But don't forget, God's in the details. Well, back to chapter 6 where it's, it's been four years now since that event. And out of all the nights and out of all that could have been read, and out of all the places they could have read in that Chronicles. This is what the king reads on this night. Isn't this amazing? Look at what the king says upon hearing this in verse 3. What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? So obviously it was expected that something would be done. You know. And we see that the king's servant that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. After four years, Mordecai is finally going to reap what he sowed. Well, that's a blessing to know. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. But God decides the due season. It's not always our timing. And so we have to trust God's timing. Joseph spent two years in prison until the baker finally remembered what a friend. Genesis 41.9, Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. God's timing was best. I'm sure Joseph wasn't excited about God's timing. You know, Remember we kind of joked about that earlier? Joseph, are you excited about being down in the prison? Oh yes, God's working everything for good. So God decides. Likewise, God had the reward for Mordecai's deed held back for such a time as this. And and you may feel like you've been slighted. You may feel like you've been overlooked. But listen, you really shouldn't hope for a reward on this earth. I know that's painful to hear sometimes. Ecclesiastes 9, 14, and 15. There was a little city and few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Just expect that, okay? And then everything else will be icing on the cake. Whoop. So even if you're never rewarded here below, I want you to know that our God's keeping accurate records. 
And there's a reward day coming when our Lord returns. So just keep doing right. Well, I, I preached this back in chapter 3, so we'll move on. But this is really starting to get interesting now here in our text. Satan had put it into the heart of Haman to destroy Mordecai and put him to death. And here God has put it into the heart of the king to honor Mordecai. <laughs> Something's going to have to give here. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up another. So let's not forget what took place before the king went to bed. And this is why I really wanted to cover two chapters last week. <laughs> um, that's never going to happen, okay. Esther, she, she hosted that banquet. And remember, she doesn't say anything. And now we see why this is so important that she held off another day telling the king her petition. This is very significant here. Carnal minds would, would conclude how lucky she was. Boy, what a... Man, how fortunate. You, I can't believe how lucky you are. I mean, what a coincidence. No, that's not what's happening at all. Those in Christ recognize that God is in control. And God was directing things according to His providence. And let's not forget also, while Esther's pausing, Haman is rushing. And he's moving full speed ahead. The king couldn't sleep by divine appointment. And it's likely that Haman didn't get a whole lot of sleep that night either. Because he comes home from the banquet and his sweet wife says, kill Mordecai. So he's up building this gallows or having people build. I'm sure he's overseeing it. And, and he's excited about getting up and going before the king and telling him he wants to put Mordecai to death. He wants to be the first one in. Haman is so eager to have Mordecai put to death that we'll find that he's the first one in the office the next morning. The king is so eager to honor Mordecai that he wants to know who's out there in the court. Am I missing? Did I read the verse yet? We'll figure it out. I don't know. Oh, there we go. In verse 5, is that where we're at? Let's read that one then, smart people. <laughs> and the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Are you getting this picture? Isn't this amazing? I mean, he's coming in early so that he can say, I'm ready to kill Mordecai. And the king's saying, who's out there in the court? I'm ready to honor Mordecai. Oh boy. In verse 5, the king's servants informed the king that Mordecai is standing in the court. This is the king's prime minister, so let's bring him in. Let's get some advice. He says, let him come in. Now let's read verses 6 through 9. But notice how prideful and confident Haman is. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, 
Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. <laughs> Haman is so prideful. He's so prideful that he's, he's blinded in his heart. He can't see anything but himself. And of course, he's thinking, who else would the king want to honor? I'm the man. And so he's just so prideful that he pitches this idea of being arrayed in royal apparel, paraded through the city, thinking it's going to be him. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Look at verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. <laughs> this is so great. But before I move on, I, I, just an interesting note here that I came across. Um, he calls him Mordecai the Jew. So I have to reckon that Ahasuerus' servants at some point informed him that he's a Jew. Because up until now, it hasn't been revealed to the king in the text. We know that Esther's still hiding her identity. We know Mordecai revealed his when he was explaining why he wouldn't bow and reverence Haman. So I don't know when it came before the king, but apparently he knew that he was a Jew. And I bring this up to highlight something I've already mentioned in a previous message. But I just want to highlight here how out of touch Ahasuerus is about his empire. I mean, just think about this. In chapter 3, the king, he gives Haman his ring. Pretty much gives him free reign to do what he wants to do. So Haman issues the decree against the Jews. And it would be bizarre for the king to tell Haman to honor Mordecai the Jew if the king knew of the decree to eradicate the Jews in 11 months. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this guy's just, he's out there. Listen, if, if this is Xerxes, he's the man that decided to take a chain and whip the waters. This guy's nuts, all right? And, and so here he is, and this has got to be confusing for the people in Shushan because they, they've already been told the Jews could be killed and plundered in 11 months, and now they're watching as Mordecai the Jew is being honored with Haman saying, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And, and the people got to be standing there scratching their heads thinking, Wait a minute. The king is honoring a Jew and in 11 months I can kill that same man and take his possessions? I mean, you talk about mixed signals. Ahasuerus is so out of touch. He, he doesn't even know what's going on. I know some fathers that way. But I won't go there. Anyhow, this is amazing here. And, and this would make such a great movie if done right. And, and there's some pretty decent ones out there on YouTube you can watch for free. But th this would be such a great movie. Here Mordecai comes. Sorry, I, I don't watch movies. For non-independent Baptists, uh, this would be such a great movie. Um, here, Mordecai, <laughs> here Mordecai comes to the king early enough. He wants to be the first one to speak to the king. i got to fulfill my plan. I'm ready to kill Mordecai. And now the king commands him to honor Mordecai, which, of course, he does in verse 11, because whose word's going to prevail? And, and let me just tell you again, boast not thyself of tomorrow. <laughs> How easy pride can blind and deceive people. I mean, how great is this? The very man that Haman hated above all others and whose death he has plotted 
is the very man that the king delights in. And, and in this, we see a picture of Christ yet again in this account. Jesus was hated by all the religious elites. Those who were steeped in, in, in their Judaism through the traditions of men, the corrupted form. And they were blinded by their pride. And they plotted the destruction of the Messiah. Isaiah 53.3, He's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But though the world despised our Lord, listen now, this is what we see here. God was pleased. God said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now Christ has been exalted. And he's been given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. They will confess that He is Lord. Everybody. To the glory of God the Father. And in this account, we also see a picture of the true Christians in this world. The world despises those who will not bow before the wicked of this world. But our King delights in those who, having done all, will stand. Our King honors those who will endure unto the end. And we may not be in the place in America where the government would openly kill believers for their faith in Christ. But we are at the place where we are despised by many. Because we're all that's left standing between them and their wicked agendas. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.13, We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. The people in Jerusalem who were so steeped in their blindness, they said in Acts 22.22 about Paul, Away with such a fellow from the earth! For it is not fit that he should live. But I would tell you tonight, let the world despise and let them deride. Because one day we, we too will be honored by our King. Amen. Whoop! John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. <laughs> That's good. Revelation 3.21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's pretty good honor. Even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in His throne. And if I understand the Scriptures correctly, then one day we'll be honored at the wedding supper of the Lamb, being His bride. Luke 12.37, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that He shall gird Himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. What a thought. So let the world make fun of you. Listen, the servant's not greater than his, than his master. And if they persecuted him, they'll persecute us. And I just believe we're, hit, we're getting to that point where we better know where we stand. 
But always remember this, the reward day is coming. There is a reward. Revelation twenty two twelve. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to every man according as his work shall be. So I'll leave you tonight with this. Our God keeps accurate records. There is a book. He's keeping account. And one day our king will honor those who were faithful to serve him. So stay faithful. Know where you stand. Take advantage of the time that you have because tomorrow it may all change. Would you pray with me, please?